A mere six months after the close of the Second Vatican Council, Cardinal Ottaviani, one of the voices of orthodoxy and the traditional Catholic faith, penned a letter to his fellow bishops and cardinals, warning them of the errors that were already being seen at the time. Now remember, this is 1966, so he is not yet free to speak with the force that many speak today about the council. He still at the beginning speaks of it in glowing terms. I mean, after all, why wouldn't he? But he does outline here, in this very short letter, the errors that are already beginning to be seen, a mere six months later. And there's a reason he's doing this, and that's because many of the architects of the council said during the council privately that they already knew how they wanted to implement the documents of Vatican II, that they were written to be purposely ambiguous, so that they could implement them the way that they saw fit. Now we will hear the, the so-called secret letter to the bishops of Cardinal Ottaviani of July 24th, 1966. As the recently happily closed Second Ecumenical Vatican Council promulgated very wise documents, either in doctrinal or disciplinary matters, to effectively promote the life of the Church, all the people of God have a grave responsibility, that of making every effort to bring to its application everything which, in this great assembly of bishops, presided over by the sovereign pontiff, has been solemnly proposed or decreed. Now it belongs to the hierarchy. It is right and its office to watch, direct, promote the movement of renewal started by the council, so that the documents and decrees of the same council receive a right interpretation and be implemented, strictly observing the vigor and spirit of these same documents. It is indeed the bishops who must protect this doctrine. They who enjoy under their head, who is Peter, the function of teaching with authority. And it is commendably that many pastors have already begun to explain the doctrine of the council in an apt manner. It is, however, to be deplored that from various quarters gloomy news has arrived of increasing innovations in the interpretation of the doctrine of the council, as well as vagrant and daring opinions appearing here and there, which do not slightly twist the mind of the many faithful. We must praise the studies and the efforts of a more complete investigation of the truth, which rightly distinguish between what is to be believed and what is the object of free opinion. But on examining the documents submit, submitted to this sacred congregation, it appears that a not insignificant number of theses easily go beyond the limits of mere opinion or hypothesis, and seem to have some extent to affect dogma itself and foundations of faith. It is appropriate to touch as examples some of these theses and errors as they manifest themselves in the reports of learned men or in published writings. 1. First comes the sacred revelation itself. There are those who resort to sacred scripture by knowingly setting aside tradition. They also reduce the amplitude, the force of biblical inspiration and inerrancy, and do not have a correct idea of the value of historical texts. 2. With regard to the doctrine of faith, it is said that dogmatic formulas are subject to historical evolution, so that their objective meaning itself is subject to change. 3. The ordinary magisterium of the Church, especially that of the Roman Pontiff, 
is sometimes so neglected and underestimated that it is almost relegated to the region of free opinion. 4. Objective and absolute truth, firm and immutable, is hardly admitted by some who subject all things to a certain relativism, and this for the fallacious reason that all truth necessarily follows the rhythm of the evolution of consciousness and of consciousness history. 5. The adorable person himself of Jesus Christ is reached when, in rethinking Christology, such concepts of person and nature are employed, which are hardly compatible with dogmatic definitions. There is a creeping in a certain Christological humanism, according to which Christ is reduced to the condition of a simple man, who has gradually acquired the awareness of his divine affiliation. His miraculous conception, his miracles, his very resurrection are granted verbally, but in reality are brought back to the purely natural order. 6. Likewise, in the theological treatise on the sacraments, certain elements are ignored or not sufficiently taken into account, especially with regard to the Most Holy Eucharist. There are many that deal with the real presence of Christ in the species of bread and wine by favoring exaggerated symbolism, just as if the bread and wine were not converted into the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ through transubstantiation, but were simply transferred to some meaning. There are also those who advance more than the reason the concept of agape for mass before the idea of sacrifice. 7. Some preferring to explain the sacrament of penance as a means of reconciliation with the church do not sufficiently express the reconciliation which offended God himself. They claim that the celebration of this sacrament is not necessary for the personal confession of sins, but they are content to express only the social function of reconciliation with the church. 8. There is no lack either that disregard for the doctrine of the Council of Trent on original sin or commenting on it in such a way that the original fault of Adam and the very transmission of sin are offended. 9. No lesser errors are widespread in the field of moral theology. In fact, some, not a small number, dare to reject the objective rule of morality. Others do not accept the natural law, but affirm the legitimacy of the morality of the situation, as they say. Pernicious opinions are offered on morality and the responsibility in nuptial matters. 10. To all these things we must add a note on ecumenism. The Apostolic See fully praises those who, in the spirit of the conciliar decree on ecumenism, promote initiatives with a view to fostering charity towards separated brethren and attracting them to the unity of the Church. But he regrets that there is no lack of them who, interpreting in their own way the conciliar decree, demand such ecumenical action which offends the truth about the unity of faith and of the Church, promoting a dangerous ironism and indifferentism, which assuredly is totally foreign to the spirit of the Council. Errors and dangers of this kind, scattered no doubt here and there, are nevertheless found in this letter in a summary synthesis, and proposed to the ordinaries, so that each according to his office and his office takes care to repress or prevent them. The sacred dicastery also urges the same local ordinaries, gathered in their respective Episcopal conferences, to take care of it, and to refer it appropriately to the Holy See, and to deliver their reflections before the feast of the Nativity of our Lord Jesus Christ, of the current year. This letter, which an obvious reason of prudence forbids to be made public, that the ordinaries and those, whoever they are, to whom they will have considered right to communicate it, 
keeply, strictly, secret. Signed, Cardinal Ottaviani, Prefect for the Sacred Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, July 24th, 1966. Let me know what you think about this in the comments, please. And if you uh, like my usual content, go ahead and like and subscribe. I'd definitely be happy to have you here. Thanks for listening and have a blessed weekend.